welcome back to Spilling Eve, the Killing Eve podcast. Welcome to episode two. I am so excited we're back and I'm excited to introduce our guest today, the wonderful Maya Paz, a comedian and writer who divides her time between Tel Aviv and Toronto. She studied at the Steve Tisch School of Film and Television in Tel Aviv and has an MFA in film from York University and has over a decade of experience in writing for print and web. She's written weekly columns for cultural sections in a bunch of Israel's most popular publications and has also served as a TV critic for Time Out Tel Aviv magazine, which is awesome because we have a real TV critic. It's not just me babbling and babbling. Uh, Hello, Maya. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. My pleasure. We are so excited you're here. Let's talk before we get into episode two, just a little bit about the show. So you've seen the whole series. I have. And you're a fan. I'm a fan. How did you come to watch this show? I don't know if it's strange for like someone who whose job is to write about TV, but I completely like missed uh, Fleabag when it came out. Um, it didn't it didn't get very popular, at least in Toronto, I think. It didn't get a lot of mainstream acclaim. Probably not, but I do feel like it was, you know, talked about on social media. And um, if you're, you know, if you're into TV, and especially if you're into TV shows written and um, written, in, written by women with uh, female characters uh, in the lead, then, you know, I knew about it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, I never, I never, I never got around to watching it. And then I was on a flight coming here and this was the only thing like on my tablet that I could watch. So, and so I watched the whole series in, in, in one flight and uh, it kind of, I can't say like it, I can't say that it blew my mind, It, but it like it was, yeah, it blew my mind. It like gets to you. I mean, I, I felt the same watching Fleabag. It, it's so funny because a lot of it feels like, well, this isn't necessarily new, but the way it's crafted and the performance and the writing, it just, it's this like intangible sort of like special thing. And yeah, exactly. And I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed I feel like every aspect of it almost really spoke to me. And this was around March. And I think, yeah, and I think uh, Killing Eve came out in April, right? So it Yeah, around there, yeah. So there was this show that I just watched and I was really excited about. And the person who made it has a new show coming out so I had to at least check it out yeah I mean I think that's probably the case for a lot of people I'm really curious listeners let us know why or how you came to watch Killing Eve if you're in England that probably makes a lot more sense uh but if you're anywhere else in the world was it Phoebe Waller-Bridge was it Sandra Oh what what drew you to the show uh that's awesome let's get into it we just watched the second episode uh this is there's a lot. The The pilot episode crams in so much stuff and it sets up this rich, beautiful world and these really intense characters. And that that leaves a lot of, I think, uh, pressure on the second episode to keep the story moving and to keep us engaged and interested. So let's just, we'll talk a little bit about the second episode. It opens in Bulgaria with Vin- Villanelle carrying out another hit. We see a, a woman in a bus and she's looking up at this office building and she's kind of smiling at this guy and then realizes this guy's like bleeding against the window, freaking out. And we watch Villanelle carry out this murder just sort of apathetically. She seems bored. 
Um, she, he's like begging for his life and she doesn't really care. She kills him. She maintains that really intense eye contact we've seen her do before as he's dying. And it's, it's, it's very chilling, but it kind of puts us back into this world right away. We're like, okay, status quo. She's still murdering people. And then we switch over to London and we get to see Eve having the most awkward breakfast with Carolyn. Yeah. Okay, so this is... Uh, I wasn't sure if you are going to, like, recap the whole episode. Oh, no, no. Uh, Let's do it together. Uh, yeah, I I feel like I, I need to, like, go back to the beginning and ask you, what do you think about, you know, the person on the bus, like, witnessing the incident? What do you think of that? I think it's so interesting because as someone who is so enthralled by drama and true crime, I feel like they are kind of making that character a lot of us, a lot of the fans. Like, I feel like I am that person who would look out and maybe see something that's not there or I'd see something that seems really scary and be like oh is this real I don't know what to do and she she calls her mom I think in the episode um I think I think it's a really interesting way to sort of like distance us from what's happening right off the bat what do what do you think of it that's the thing I'm not sure because in a way like it kind of feels like almost almost like a PSA against like the bystander effect or something. Mm. And so even though it wasn't like the classic, like a lot, like everyone's, everyone is hearing someone screaming. So somebody's going to call the cops. I'm not going to, I'm just going to call my mom and ask her if she needs anything from the store. Yeah. But then it's like, um, it's not really like, I don't think like that's her style. I, I mean, it's just like, it's just the first episode. Uh, we've seen the rest. So I can, it, it's I don't remember anything that like spoon feedy yeah going on like the at the rest like for the rest of the show and I was wondering like I I wanted to get like your take on it because it felt like I'm probably missing something here I, I think it's supposed to be comedic like I think it's supposed to be a little bit of a funny misdirect that she's not calling the cops but I also I also do think and maybe this is just me projecting but I do think there is something to be said about that like viewer thing and that fan perspective on what's happening but I don't know it's interesting yeah I I'm not sure I I haven't like my opinion isn't like fully formed totally and it doesn't have to be (laughs) yeah Yeah. but then then we we flip back to London and we see Eve having this like super awkward breakfast with Carolyn which in the pilot is set up that like she's kind of got a job offer or something intense is gonna happen Eve's gonna be a spy and so we're back to reality with just this very weird encounter Eve is so nervous and so anxious and she's kind of babbling Carolyn's very stoic and serious and doesn't really have time she I think she literally says something like I don't have time for chit chat like she's not there to make nice uh, and so they kind of get into it and they're starting to talk and, uh, Carolyn produces all of the stuff they found on Eve's hard drive, which is a scary kind of intense moment. And Eve's making jokes about it being like weird pictures of their coworkers. But what it is, is it's all of this intel that she's collected on female assassins, uh, which is interesting. It's interesting that they, they show us that explicitly that like, that is what she's been doing 
with her spare time. To be completely honest, I like I forgot that this is what happened. Yeah, like how scene. it sets it yeah, up. Yeah, I forgot because I guess and the parts the part that I did remember was where when uh, Eve asks for a gin and tonic mm-hmm. and the guy's like, oh, the bar is closed in the morning, and then um, Carolyn Carolyn yeah. asks for it and he and she's like she doesn't she doesn't take crap from him yeah. and that like establishes her character as like a totally. very confident as opposed to um uh Eve who's very nervous and you know just like blabbing all the time totally. and the power dynamic is so clear too like Carolyn is someone who can talk meanly to a server and they're going to respect her because of who she is no one knows or cares who Eve is so so Carolyn basically says like this is great we think you're right and and there's a moment where you're not sure if she's going to get she's going to kind of yell at Eve but she doesn't she's just like yes you're on to something and we like it and right away she brings her to an office building and she sort of shows her this wall that's been set up with all of Eve's research and all of her theories uh and Eve is totally overwhelmed and doesn't know how to handle it and someone comes in a young guy comes in who we find out has been like kind of doing all of this grunt work and getting all of this together and it ends with Carolyn saying, like, you're going to need other people. You, you can hire two people. You can bring on two people for this sort of covert MI6 mission. She's really weird in the way she talks about it, too. She's like, it's unofficially official or like it's it's a real thing, but it's very clear that it's a secret. I, I mean, it's probably intentionally confusing. You're meant to ask yourself at that point, is this operation legit or not? Mm-hmm. Um without giving too much away i think it's like it's it that's how they set it up um, totally which later in the series we learn so much about carolyn and we learn so much about uh, villanelle and how all these characters are connected uh, that re-watching this second episode with all of that in mind i felt like i had a really different experience than my first time watching it because now I'm looking at it with the lens of like, oh, well, I know all your secrets and I know what you've done and I know all these things that are revealed later. Is this, is this, but is this about, is this a Lance thing? Like, can you, do you remember what you thought watching it for the first time? I, I think watching it for the first time, I just thought this is like so undercover and so top secret spy. And rewatching it, I have a little more apprehension and I'm thinking, ooh this seems weird and why isn't there anyone else involved and why is it so secret and contained to just Carolyn and Kenny who we find out is her son later like there aren't any outside players that we know of Mm -hmm. involved in it and there's there's a moment where um where they when they go into this place and uh Eve says it's like I'm inside my brain or it's like being inside my brain or something like that which is like if you if you're like me and you seek for like those silly symbolism stuff that it's like I don't know screenwriting 101 this is like okay this woman is in your head totally and and is that a good thing or is that a bad thing well is this an ally who's gonna help you or I think at at this point what we think is that um 
It's like you have this feeling where you're thinking something and you're like, am I the only one who sees that? And, and then it's very reassuring. I don't think that Eve thought that she was being crazy or something like that. But I, I can imagine if I were her walking into that place and being like, oh, finally someone understands me. Totally. And she feels seen and validated in this thing that's been her kind of secret thing she does on the side. And now it's being taken seriously and she gets to kind of be a spy because of it. Like that's very exciting and flattering too, I think. And especially by this person who's in the first episode, like was established as like this really important. Yeah. Someone who can get a gin and tonic even when the bar is closed. <laughs> uh, so then we go back to Paris and we see Villanelle returning from the, the assassination she just did. And there's this young, cute guy named Sebastian who's kind of flirting with her. And he notices she has a bruise and like freaks out. He's like, oh, I'll, I'll help you with that. And she's like very amused with him, not really paying a lot of attention. And then Constantine, her handler, is there and tells her basically she's not allowed to do any more jobs until she gets assessed. He He's concerned. He's concerned about her, uh, especially after the hospital murders in the last episode that was supposed to look very subtle and like a suicide and instead turned into this massive bloodbath. Um, so he basically just puts her, puts her on blast a bit and takes her. The next thing we see, he takes her to get assessed by someone in their organization. We don't really know who this guy is. What are his credentials? Is he some kind of therapist he does like a weird uh like photo test with her she the the reveal of the assessment is so good because we see her face and she's so smiley and she looks like she's really playing it up and then the camera pans out and she's wearing this absurd pink fluffy dress i don't i don't even know how to describe it I thought it reminded me of uh molly ringwald and like oh my gosh totally (laughs) it's very like puffy and yeah like pretty and pink never been kissed meets like a kinston miera sweet 16 like it looks so juvenile and so childish and it's obvious that like this was a very intentional choice for her this isn't a dress she wears all the time she's kind of doing it to say like look i'm playing your game i'll do your i'll I'll sarcastically play into this thing but she obviously isn't taking it very seriously Right. Um, I, I think I don't, I don't like, I'm not really sure what, what she was going for, like, because she was, she was messing with them. That's obvious. But I wasn't sure if she was like, because I mean, I don't like, I still, I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand what's going on. It's like, um, she tries, does she try to appear sane? Does she try to appear insane it's like yeah what is that choice what is that dress and she she's being shown all these like sad disturbing disturbing images and there's one of a dog hanged and she starts like crying and then it's clear she's like faking it and she starts laughing at them very similar to the first episode where she pretends to be dead and then is like gotcha she's like "Ah, i did another gotcha which to me kind of read like she she was trying to show i'm fine none of this bothers me I'm I'm above this basically but it kind of makes her seem unstable and then they bring up this character Anna 
Right, they do. But before that, there was something that I noticed. Uh, I noticed it now, like in the second viewing. Uh, I should have noticed it before. Um, <laughs> no he, judgment he, here. He asks her if she has, like, if she feels stressed, if she feels anxious. And she said, like, that he had a, a heavy pe- period. Mm-hmm. And then later on, she uses, uh, she, uses, she uses a tampon. So it's like... She uses, in this case, you know, her her period as a means to like, uh, dis, like to 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 keep men away or something totally. like that, and you know, and obviously the whole the whole show, and it's probably true to a lot of like um, female assassins shows or books or films, um, them you know not being as threatening and not like being an immediate. I mean, immediate danger. So that I feel like kind of plays on that. It's like you use me. I'm a woman. I'm not as suspicious. But this is like this is where I like use my femininity on you. Totally. And it's it's so interesting because they're two older men. That what are they gonna say to her? Making a kind of joke about a period. Like you can tell it kind of like puts this awkwardness in the room. And and similarly later on with the tampon, the the fake boss at the job she's pretending she has as soon as she pulls out a tampon he's like oh god i don't uh, uh," he's at a loss for words he doesn't know how to handle it and that's really interesting i hadn't put those two together before either uh so the assessment doesn't go well because when the uh, she makes the period joke she makes the pretending to be crying joke and then they bring up this character anna who i don't think we have heard of before this moment in the series and it gets to her and it really gets to her. You can tell she's not playing it anymore. She's, she's really, uh, I think she's really surprised by them bringing this up. And uh, they show a drawing of this beautiful brown hair, such a theme in the show. And you, you just see her kind of like starting to lose her cool a little bit. And she lies and says that the, the drawing isn't Anna, it's her mother, which she then immediately is like, I'm kidding, my mom has shitty thin hair. And Constantine and the person assessing her kind of share an exchange and say like, see what I was talking about, blah, blah, blah. And I think us, like the viewers, similarly like share an exchange and I'm like, isn't that Eve? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And... uh then almost immediately after this, they say, like, you're, you're not okay to work. You're not allowed to work right now. And her handler, Constantine, says, go do something normal. She hugs him and she she's, like, pretending to kind of have this moment with him. But what she's really doing is stealing the postcard that has the information for her next job that he's taken away from her. Because she still wants to do it. She doesn't care. She doesn't care about the rules that they're setting up for her. So she goes back to her house and right away the young guy is there again, Sebastian, and he brought her bruise cream for, for her bruise. And she's so taken with him and she's like, let's do something normal right now. And so then they have this sort of weird little date and we see them strolling through Paris. And there's another really interesting moment with the hair where she, this woman walks by with like beautiful luscious brown locks and Eve is like, or Eve, sorry, Villanelle is like rubbernecking to look back at her to the point that the the boy, Sebastian asks, do you know her? Like, why are you staring at this woman? And she just says, no, and moves <laughs> on and offers no explanation. And so they have this nice little date. She's pretending she works in perfume and it, her boss is mad at her. And he's just being like the sweetest, most supportive guy. 
and telling her to like go after her dreams and do her <laughs> job and they can't tell her no, which is of course the worst thing this character could be hearing right now. Well, if if uh, if we said that Constantine was like go do something normal, so uh, what? And this was like she went and did like normal things. She went on a date. She had sex, and she did none of those things normally. Yeah, that's um, not her normal. Which is funny because even that line when he said it to her, the first time I watched this, I thought like, well, that's a weird thing to say to like a psychopath assassin because you know that's not how she lives her life. Like, you know enough about her. Uh, yeah, she she ends up hooking up with this guy. It's it's so funny. It's, it's done very comically. He is so overwhelmed and so taken and like so infatuated with her. She doesn't care, but she's sort of humoring him a bit. Um... And then we see her back at her apartment. She's had her fake normal day and she is creating some sort of poison perfume. Uh, She's got this really intense mask on, gas mask on her face. And she's just, she looks like she's like a chemist in a lab. There's, there's, there's a few things. um, Well, it's actually, it's the one thing that kind of bothered me uh, throughout the show. I don't think that they talk about it at all. Um, She's and I know like the the we start we start the show with her with her like becoming very cocky and not as cautious and you know drawing a lot of attention but don't they check for prints in Europe like I don't <laughs> I, That's a great question. I, I mean like like I, I think I told you this I don't I I don't like I mostly watch comedies I but I do watch Law and Order SVU and I know like, we're like soulmates, so that's great. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, listeners. We're just going to have a quick moment. Uh, no, totally. My background is fully in comedy. I work in comedy and I love Olivia Benson more than I love most real humans. But that's so funny because you're right. She does seem kind of uh, like careless with fingerprints. Yeah. And she, like, I know she like she took the like the perfume bottle back with her we see her i think she left like the hairpin from the pilot mm-hmm. episode at the scene it's like it Does seems... she have gloves on in that hairpin she never has gloves on <laughs> i love this i love that you're like no 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 <laughs> maybe in season two we'll find out her fingerprints were burned off in a chemical disaster yeah that's like that's what i assumed but they they never mention it and anything about it right that's so funny and that, so interesting that I don't know that annoys me that annoyed me that's it's... gonna like change the way I watch the rest <laughs> of this season for this podcast just so you know every time I'm gonna be like fingerprints uh gloves anything so Phoebe Waller-Bridge if you're listening just kidding if you're listening I love you and you're perfect and hire me on your next yeah, show let's have coffee I mean I'll be a PA I don't <laughs> care uh so she makes the poison perfume We go back to uh, Eve. We see that she's brought on Bill and Elena from her old office. The old gang's back together. So it's the three of them and this young kid, Kenny. And they're in this tiny, cramped little office that Carolyn set them up in. And uh, Eve's just sort of rattling off, going on, on, this is, she's explaining everything that's been in her head up to this point. And Bill instantly is criticizing and is just sort of, questioning the way she wants to run this not even necessarily her ideas but he's sort of saying like yeah you think you know everything we need to go back to square one and we need to not be be so keen and eager to be right with this one hunch and it makes eve really unhappy and bill 
is just seeming really grumpy. And so Eve goes to the bathroom and there's a very funny exchange with Kenny and toilet paper. And it's this dingy little like closet of a bathroom, but it turns out to be a very important moment because we see her have a bit of an epiphany. She is, her hair is up. She takes it down, sort of shakes her hair out and starts to put it back up, totally mirroring what happened in the pilot. And it, it triggers uh, that memory for her. And it's so funny because in watching it both times, as soon as it triggers, I'm like, ah, she's figured it out. And of course she hasn't. That would be quite a leap. All she thinks is like, oh, I saw that nurse. That nurse might have seen something. Like, because Villanelle had been dressed as a nurse, she just thought like, we need a witness. That could be our witness. And she just remembers the interaction. Uh, We go back to Villanelle and she... It ha- has decided to completely disobey her orders to be on hold and use her poison perfume to carry out another hit. So we see her sneaking into this fancy sort of gala event, uh, wearing like a cater waiter event catering outfit. Just a, a very, it was funny watching it. I was like, yeah, I guess if you wear like a white button down shirt and a black tie and black pants, you could probably get into a lot of places. Yeah, this is actually what my, uh, my what my oldest sister wore to my bat mitzvah. And our one of our distant cousins who like didn't know her asked her if she could get him a, like a drink. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Also, don't dress like that. If you're not working an event, it can be very embarrassing. So she gets in and we see her right away. She's sort of surveilling. She finds her her target. Uh, Her target gets up. We sort of infer that this woman is like a very rich and powerful woman. It's some sort of political event and she's the main donor. And she makes sort of a, a little joke to the politician that also shows power in a really interesting way that even though this whole event is for this politician. It's clear this is the person with the money and this is the woman who actually matters and who people actually are listening to. So she gets up to leave. She goes to the bathroom and uh, Villanelle follows her. And that then we come to the beautiful tampon moment where Villanelle is basically told like, you're not allowed to go down there. Staff aren't allowed to go to this fancy bathroom. I don't know. And... Uh, she pulls out the tampon and is like, Madame asked for it. I always have one, blah, blah, blah. And the guy's just like, oh, whatever. I don't. Tampons? Me, no, no. So she goes down and then instantly changes tactics again and waits for a couple people to leave and then approaches this woman and says, I know you invest in cosmetics and pharmaceuticals and I'm just a poor girl from a small town. I've invented a perfume. I named it after you. And you can tell that this woman doesn't really care. She she tries to brush her off. But Villanelle really sticks to this shtick of like, please, you inspire me. And if you didn't open the door for women like me, we wouldn't be able to do anything. And it, and it gets to her. Uh, and it's really clear Vill- Villanelle's done her research to know, like, exactly the right things to say. Uh, so she gives her her perfume, her poison perfume, and says, smell it. It's good. You'll <laughs> like it. And it's, it's such an interesting exchange because once the woman has sort of bought in, she sprays the perfume directly on her skin and says, I don't believe in this spraying it in the air and walking it through. And Villanelle has the like most not so smile on her face because of course this is only going to help her and speed up the process. And she's like, yeah, I don't believe in that either. <laughs> uh, and then we see a horrific death. Yeah. And like we, she stays there throughout the whole thing and 
she like makes this intense eye contact with her and it's also like with the little kid in the yeah. in the first episode yet where a, she yet again she's staring into the eyes as the life is draining out of someone and we've seen this a few times even in even in the first kill of this episode the guy in the office even though she's bored by him she watches him die which is so intense and scary and creepy and she had said earlier to Constantine something about this woman having asthma and how she loves the breathers. And you do, you hear this woman like gasping and choking to death. And it just seems like Villanelle is pleased as punch. She's like, yep, nailed it. Knew this was going to work. Her plan, her plan went off perfectly, it seems. I found that assassination, that murder, one of the most interesting ones because it's a woman and... Yeah, it's the first woman, Yeah, right? it's the first woman that we've seen. Yeah. Because, of course, um, uh, the the per- the woman who, who witnessed the first one was killed in the hospital, but we just see the aftermath of that. So it's a woman, and it seems like Villanelle is enjoying it, and it's such a different creative, uh, maybe creative is the wrong word, but but way to kill someone. It's not... It's not necessarily violent but it's extremely painful and extremely intimate yeah it's it's so specific and um and i think it like it it's play it 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 plays on us on like the viewers because the first like we start the show with uh with a killing of you know uh like a sex trafficker nobody like we're happy he died and the person like and the and the and the the person in you know and bulgaria we don't know who that was oh it's not the first woman because there's kasha yes yeah but we don't but we don't see that that murder and there were other people there too this is like so one-on-one yeah this was the first like female target yeah that and who we have seen right because kasha was killed because she witnessed she witnessed and could identify villanelle this this person is the hit is the reason and and it's not only it's not only like a a woman she's like a successful woman who has like this it it sounded kind of like she has like this rags to riches story mm-hmm. and villanelle tells her uh says the sentence right women like you pave the way for women like me and then i think it plays it kind of like it plays on us like a, a, especially if you're a, a phoebe waller bridge fan you're like, and you're like a feminist, and you're like pro women, and and you're like, the, okay, this is not like we. You talked earlier about we're gonna, you're gonna probably mention it. I'm not gonna mess up the order. <laughs> oh, it's fine. But um, me like maybe this was kind of like feminist baiting. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull you in with like a feminist premise, and then uh, she's like, this person is gonna kill another feminist. I assume this person. This... I mean, I mean that'd be a very interesting thing to talk about at some point on the on this podcast. Is is Villanelle a feminist? Because she is like a strong female, independent woman, and she doesn't seem to uh, discriminate between men and women but she also doesn't really have a lot of agency she kills who she's told to kill she goes where she's told to go and i don't know i don't know if we know enough about like i don't know if we know her core values or if she has core values because it seems like throughout the series we start to see her betray person after person who we've assumed is someone that she cared about in some way so yes this murder happens it is bleak and dark and intense and then we are back with eve and the gang and they are trying to get frank to go to the pub so frank is their old boss from mi5 who was like 
such a douche and uh, very funny in the pilot. And we, we've got him at the pub because uh, they had Elena ask him to go there because they want to know about the CCTV footage um, from the, the initial mm-hmm. murder. And they don't believe it exists because they don't believe a man was the killer. And they want to make sure that that's right. Uh, But Frank, of course, is just his terrible self. And he gets really upset once they start asking him specifically about that. And he says that he thought they asked him out because his wife died recently. And this was to comfort him. And Elena goes on and on trying to clarify that she's not interested in him sexually. This isn't a date. This isn't a date. You didn't think this was a date, right? And it's so funny and painful. And he's very drunk. And then he finally admits like, no, there was no CCTV v footage i was lying to like get you off my backs is what he tells them right and he's so drunk and he leaves and they're glad for the information and they kind of laugh at him a little bit and it's very clear like the team is working well together yeah i don't i don't know what i um what i think you know what i think of the scene like i know what i think of it now when i know other things but at the time when you look at this scene it's i think it's mostly confusing there's the cctv part but right it doesn't feel like that's the important part necessarily uh and it is funny because this character is such a punchline until later in the series when we find out it's a lot darker than that uh yeah it's really interesting i the first time watching this, I just thought that scene was so funny. And I also remembered it being a lot longer. In my mind, that was like a five-minute scene of them making fun of him. Because in the in the pilot, he gets so upset about not being invited to a birth Bill's birthday and karaoke. And it's just another instance of like, okay, this guy is not in their social circle. Right. He is that person at an office that you see and you're cordial with and you do not socialize with. Uh, and then Eve is home and she's with her husband and she is telling him all about her fake day that she's making up. Oh, I did hot yoga and I've been relaxing. And he looks at her and he can tell like, you're different right now. You're really like, you seem like you've had a vacation. And instantly she admits that she's a spy. She's like, I'm working for MI6. This is happening. They want me to follow my lead. I was right. Like truly the opposite of what she's supposed to do. But that's Eve. She can't keep that a secret. And it's part of like what makes her such a good relatable character. Because in watching that, I cannot help but project and I cannot help but think like, yeah, that's exactly what I would do. I would lie once, be terrible at it, be guilt-ridden, and then just instantly spill the beans. And he's very practical and pragmatic about it and asks is this safe it does it sounds dangerous what do you think but he can also tell like it's making her happy so eve is setting up shop and her she's got her headquarters she's starting to figure stuff out villanelle is the opposite she is disobeying orders she is losing a bit of control we see uh her in her apartment and constantine comes in and he's like throttling her choking her by the throat holding her up And it's a really intense moment. We have seen kind of the opposite of this so far in their relationship. She seems to have the power. She seems to not take him seriously. And here in this moment, he could kill her. He could murder her. 
And right away in walks sweet little boyfriend Sebastian. And he doesn't quite see the choking. So everyone's sort of in this weird cagey moment of like, ooh, what do we say? How do we play here? And Sebastian, obviously with the black eye, he's very concerned for Villanelle. And he asks um, if, like, he do- he doesn't really know what, what to do or what to say. And she says it's her brother. And... Uh, Constantine is very funny and sort of making him leave and being like, should I go? <laughs> the intonation is so funny. And I'm so curious if that was written into the script or if that was an actor's choice, because the way he says it, he is literally saying you should go. And it's so clear, so much so that the the Sebastian character says, oh, should I go? Because he has been told that is what you should say right now. And Villanelle's like, yeah, yeah, I'll come meet you later. It's fine. Everything's fine. This is my crazy brother, whatever. And so he 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 wants to make sure everything's okay. And he, he starts to leave. And we notice him. Uh, he asks her all about the perfume. And he talks about how her boss was being a dick, which of course is very like comedic. And uh, Constantine is kind of laughing at it because that's him and uh he's talking about all the fake perfume stuff and he starts to leave and we notice him take the perfume bottle out of Villanelle's bag he notices it and and takes it like this sweet new supportive boyfriend and then Villanelle and Constantine are alone and they have a bit of a reckoning he says you like you did it anyway and you weren't you weren't supposed to do this yeah it's it's kind of intense it's the first time between them we sort of see like right he is her connection to this organization and to her jobs. She's not operating on her own. And she says to him, like, if I kill you, they're just going to send me someone else. And it, it's this weird moment where it, it feels very businessy and it feels not personal at all anymore. Which to me was a little sad because I really like their like playful bantered times. I find them very charming. So to see the sort of the reality of it mm-hmm. uh, was a little jarring, I thought. Um, that's that's weird because I I thought, um, well, I mean, I thought almost the opposite. This is the point where I thought it got super personal. Mm, interesting. Because like she says, if I'm going to kill you, I'm, um, they're just going to send me a, a new you. I I, 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 I thought this was, you know, kind of like a thing that you say because she doesn't want to kill him and she yeah. doesn't want him to have that power over her with, you know, her, her like, worries about him. Like, they had this talk about her about being her. worried about him earlier. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, again, her saying one thing and then, like, taking it back but actually meaning it. It's the layers of text and subtext in the show are so interesting, especially with Villanelle, because she almost never means what she's actually saying. And so when she does say something that seems genuine, it's it's hidden sometimes. And other times she says something genuine and it almost feels like this can't be what you really feel because you don't say what you really feel, which yeah. is very interesting. So it's it's like it's it's really hard to know with her until the very last like minute of the show it's not just now totally. even though we learn more about her and her background but this is uh this is this is her and i think it's i think she's she in 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 other like situations or other characters i think are not always very good at that and 
this one I think is very well written in the sense that she has all these you know all the all these different layers but we still we still kind of root for her in a way we absolutely root for her which is something so we're recording this episode before we've released any episodes of the podcast and already people on social media have been sending us messages basically to that extent just being like talk about villanelle we're all i think it actually might come up in one of our our emails today but like we're rooting for her Hmm. And to be rooting for a psychopath murderer in a show. And of course, there are other shows like that. Dexter is a great example where you're you're sort of on the villain side. But in, in this show, I feel like I'm almost equally rooting for Villanelle and for Eve. I love them both. I see both uh, like what they're doing. And although I'm not like a fan of murder, it's she's such an interesting character. And the, the way she behaves is so ever-changing that I feel like it, it's just something that's, it draws you in. Yeah, I think, I think so too. And I think it draws you in because it's so well-written. Otherwise, it could have been like a caricature. Well, that's the thing. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I should have said, Phoebe Waller-Bridge also wrote this episode. Um, her, the way she writes characters is so humanizing and they're funny and they're real and they're petty about dumb things that don't matter and they eat food and like those kinds of small little things just make such a huge difference so then they've had this conversation Constantine tells Villanelle you gotta calm down you gotta chill out because you're being investigated in London a task force has been built about you and of course Villanelle is so flattered by this (laughs) and you can just tell her eyes start sparkling and she loves being the center of attention and uh she asks like oh what's the name of this woman leading up the task force and he asks why and she says something like like she doesn't even (laughs) offer it's obvious why and he just says the name and then she repeats it back Eve Palastri Eve Palastri just it is just so clear that she's like, okay, this is my next, like, activity. I gotta figure out who this is. I gotta, I gotta get in on this. And just as that's sort of percolating and you're getting a little creeped out, then all of a sudden they hear this intense thud from outside the apartment. They run out. It's the boyfriend, Sebastian. He's, of course, smelled the poison perfume <laughs> and died. The takeout he had brought is, like, spilled all over. And Constantine had said earlier, you have to handle him. And she just looks coldly at his dead body and goes, handled. It's handled. <laughs> and it's such a funny moment because we feel sort of like, okay, we're back. Her and Constantine are fine. Neither of them seem like they're gonna kill the other one imminently. This guy who was a fun distraction for the week or whatever, and he's over with. It's back to kind of normal. And and also uh, going back to like good uh, this this like this sentence of like it's good to have someone worrying about you. Um, this Sebastian guy was obviously concerned uh, concerned about Villanelle. He was interested in her, but you know not just you know, not just sexually or stuff. He was like genuinely worried about her. And this is like the person who's just, you know, he's just a collateral. Yeah. Yeah. She was like a much bigger story. Exactly. Which is so sad and so sweet. Uh, She doesn't let anyone in. No, she, she is not affected in any way by this person's death who in any other show, in any other world 
would be someone that you are like falling in love with and you've just slept with and to her that doesn't matter at all oh i was definitely sure that this guy is gonna have like an, a longer arc of course he's so sweet and handsome and charming not in this show in this <laughs> show no thank you uh, so then the end of this episode is so well done and it's this sort of parallel epiphany that Eve and Villanelle have about each other. So Villanelle has the name, she's researching the Palastri family tree, trying to find Eve, having no luck, and Eve, uh, is still searching through all the nurses who worked at the hospital and she can't find this image that she remembers of Villanelle and she's going through the whole registry trying to figure it out and trying to figure it out and then almost at the same time uh Villanelle sees this family photo from a Palastri family reunion that Eve is at with her husband and it's obvious his last name is Palastri and she she sees her and instantly remembers her so interesting because of course her hair is down in the photo the hair has played such a huge part and plays such a big part in this episode specifically too and she just kind of goes oh like i i know her this is this isn't a stranger and this is someone who has seen my face and who i've talked to which when would that ever happen in villanelle's life she is good at being an assassin she is good at being invisible or wearing a wig or being you know not she's she doesn't leave victims. She doesn't leave people to ID her. And then back in London, Eve starts to realize, oh shit, I saw a woman dressed as a nurse who is not on any records of being a nurse at a hospital moments before this or after, right around this like terrible massacre. And it's such an interesting way to end the episode. Because in some ways, it feels like not a lot of action has happened in terms of the two of them. Like, it doesn't feel like they're that much closer than they were at the beginning of the episode, but they both know who the other one is. Yeah, this, uh, like, this final scene, I think it's, like, kind of, like, uh, there's, like, intercuts between, like, it, it's obviously, like, meant to show us that they're more the same than different, mm -hmm. which, like, um... Up until this point, uh, it's kind of like Eve is chasing Villanelle. And especially there's like this where we literally see this turning around. Totally. Um, but this was kind of like, and I think this is also like a trope of the genre with the detective and 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 the person they're chasing yeah. kind of are kind of like obsessed with one another. And it's it's getting less and less clear like who's chasing who totally. so this kind of set it up i think with them like both like looking for each other oops with them both looking for each other um on their respective computers totally and like that moment that they met each other was such an intimate private moment that's obviously not on security cameras that no one knows about and no one can really fully understand other than the two of them and that's such an intense bonding weird thing for these two people who are now like nemeses for all intents and purposes so that's the episode that is episode two a lot happens we see this whole other side of villanelle we see her with her fake boyfriend eve gets set up to be a spy and like has her own little operation with her own little team uh bill kind of has come around and he's he's more on board with her and he's sticking around she's got she's got her people on her side villanelle knows that she's being looked into and that's it that's where we leave off it's pretty exciting it's not like an intense cliffhanger 
But again, it feels like it's setting us up for right. chase, however right. that looks. So, segments time. Top line. Was there a line or lines in this episode that stuck out to you? I had several. Oh, good. <laughs> Hit me. I'll be excited to see if we have any of the same. I think, I'm sorry if I'm like paraphrasing them. During like the first scene, like with the in Bulgaria, the guy asked her, who, who are you? And she answered, oh, that's a huge question. And then <laughs> he asked her, why are you doing this to me? And she's like, I have absolutely no idea. And... It's like, she's telling the truth. She's telling the total truth. Like, for someone who you're about to kill to ask who you are, and you'd be like, what an existential crisis <laughs> that throws me in, is so funny and so callous. He doesn't care about that. Uh, that's so good. I I had one... Uh, from right when Eve and Carolyn are meeting, uh, and this is also going to be paraphrased, but... Um, the rat story. Oh, that one also. <laughs> but before that, when she's talking about Villanelle and what she thinks of her, she says something like, she doesn't have a signature, but she certainly has style. <laughs> and it's just this weird, like, flirty line. It's like she's writing a tagline for this assassin. And it's also really accurate. She kills people in all different kinds of ways, all different methods. But it's never just, like, a kill shot to the head. It's always kind of like a bit over the top and a bit of panache and it seems like that really impresses Eve like there's something about that that she likes she it's the murderino in her she's like yes <laughs> so I also had the the rat story here but this is all I have the rat story yes I, I wrote it down because I love it so much they're walking into this tiny little office that Eve's gonna be set up in and Carolyn looks over intently at the curb and goes she says I saw a rat drink from a can of coke there and then she pauses and goes, both hands, extraordinary. Which is so weird and so funny. And to me just feels like so Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Exactly. Like, wh- what? What are you talking about? You saw a rat use its hands to drink Coke? Why is that important? But it's so funny and it alleviates that tension and it shows us that like, Carolyn is also a real person who has had real experiences. She's not just this like serious lady who's all business. She's also a person. Yeah. And in terms of like writing and especially comedic writing, because we can agree that this was a commit, some kind of like a comedic bit, um, the pause and then like the two hands, it's just like, yeah. It's, it's it's playing really like it's it's so the timing is so important the, and it's like it's and it's such a random yet specific tag that is like because the story could have been great without the part of the two the hands, hands. yeah like, if you said that's you what saw makes it perfect a rat drinking coke like yeah that's funny with two hands now you're picturing like a cute little like <laughs> Jim Henson puppet <laughs> Muppet rat like I pictured Rizzo instantly. <laughs> So strange. I only have one more. My last one was she's on this romantic stroll through Paris with her new fake boyfriend. And he asks, do you like music? Which is just like the most boring, cliche, first datey thing to ask someone. And when he asked it, I wasn't sure what she was going to say because she's so strange. And she just looks at him and goes, I like national anthems. (laughs) And he laughs. Of course, because that's hilarious. And she's like, why are you laughing? Truly does not understand the humor in that. Her favorite music is national anthems? Like, that's so weird. 
and somehow so fitting. And I loved it so much. Oh, yeah. I definitely believe that she likes national anthems. Oh, yeah. Her playlist is five national anthems. <laughs> That's it. That's her pump-up jams. Uh, were there any other ones that stuck out? Uh, yeah. Just the thing about it's good to have someone who worries about you that we already kind of talked about. I think it's kind of like also uh, like a recurring theme of the show. Um, well, and as the show progresses, Eve and Villanelle start to sort of like care about each other so much more and empathize with each other more. So it is really interesting that it's being set up right away, like from so early on in the show. Mm-hmm. And Constantine and Villanelle's relationship too. Like, what is that? How much genuine care is there on, on both sides? That's so sad. <laughs> on to more fun. Next segment, Top Ship. So... Shipping people. We talked about this a little bit before the mics turned on because I'm always so nervous. Like the old ancient millennial I am. For our purposes, duo is what we're talking about. Like who who do you want to be together in this episode? Okay, so in this episode, I have a non-romantic ship. Ooh. Um, and I'm like, why am I holding the page? I don't, have I don't, it. It I don't even, very I don't even have it written down. I love it. <laughs> yeah. We take notes. We take this somewhat seriously. Thank you very much. I'm for, uh, even bill this episode. Ooh. Uh, I think we, I think we learned a lot about their relationship. You kind of earlier, earlier talked about bill coming around and I don't think that he came around. I think that this is that relationship that they challenge each other and like they bounce shit off off each other like they don't always agree on everything that's kind of like their thing Mm -hmm. and um which makes sense when you're working together too like that's that's a more beneficial relationship than a yes man who's just gonna agree with everything you say and exactly and i think this is also like why she brought him on because she knew that even though at some sometimes they have their like their little like clashes they they do what they do and they do it Great. For me, I think, also kind of non-romantic, I think it's Villanelle and Constantine. Because I feel like we see layers of their relationship that are, that we, it's okay, you can drink water, it's fine. It's called spilling Eve. We're allowed to have beverages. Uh, But I, I think we see elements of their relationship being so much more intense and serious. And we just get a better sort of, picture of what that is and we see the power flipping back and forth so much and him bringing her for an assessment is such a like intense thing that he could choose not to do but he is making the choice to do yeah and i i love those crazy kids (laughs) together and the two of them like laughing over the dead body of a boyfriend and like it's just yeah (laughs) i don't know it's pretty great okay kill count top kill so i tried to count the kills this time almost missed one i don't think there were that many i think there were two and a half let's okay. see let's yeah. see because i the bulgaria we start right off the top with a fresh murder mm-hmm. and then she kills carla the rich investor business tycoon woman with the perfume and then sebastian dies but i don't think villanelle it's it's like involuntary manslaughter she made the poison that killed him, but she didn't intentionally murder him. But right. also, she probably would have killed him yeah. anyway if he hadn't died. Like, her literal response is taking care of her, whatever she says. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, two and a half, three. I think the top kill in this episode was Carla. And oh, the for sure. It is so intense. It's 
a, a kind of murder I have never seen on screen before. And she talks about loving the breathiness and she talks about like, she's obviously really into this and puts a lot of work and effort into this where it seems unnecessary. She could have snuck in as a cater waiter and stabbed this woman or given this woman something that she could have ingested in champagne and died. She went out of her way to like uh, orchestrate this really intense, elaborate murder. And there's something kind of like, um, well, we like seeing a plan come together. Oh. I mean, it's so perfectly executed and it's kind of, yeah, it's entertaining. We get to see how smart Villanelle is. Like she just, she did all of this and it, it, it's impressive. <laughs> Maybe dark, but true. All right. That's it for normal segments. On to Eve mail. So <laughs> you can send us in your Eve mails to spillingeve at gmail.com or send them via DM on Instagram or Twitter at spillingeve. We have uh, two today. So let's get started. The first one is from Megan and she says, hello, Spilling Eve podcast. Just wanted to say that I look forward to what you have in store for the fans. What made you want to create a podcast for this series? I know that will most likely be a question, but I wanted to ask. Anyway, I look forward to the episodes and keep up the great posts. Megan said that she's only seen a few clips of the show so far, Killing Eve, but will be watching the series soon. She really likes what she's watched so far and has heard a lot of good things, which is how I feel most people react when I ask them if they've watched Killing Eve yet. Almost all of my friends, a lot of who work in the entertainment industry, actors, writers, when I ask, have you seen Killing Eve, friend who loves intense female-driven content? They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's good. So I would encourage, if you can find a way to watch the show, watch it. It's the best. What made me want to start a podcast for it? It's funny, Maya and I were also just talking about this before recording. I love this show. I was so taken with it. I was not ready to really be done with it after I finished all the episodes because it's such a short British season. And my husband Chris and I were in New York. I took a picture by a subway sign with all these giant Killing Eve posters. BBC America reposted it. As a joke, I tweeted about a podcast and would people listen? And the response was very, very overwhelmingly supportive. And I thought, hey, I've got lots of time. I can do that right now. And that's why this podcast exists. It's also a really great excuse for me to invite people to come to my apartment and just gush about my favorite show with me. So um, it's amazing. This place is so great. Oh, please <laughs> go on. Uh, so thanks so much, Megan, for that question. Megan also is an amazing graphic designer and she designed some fan art for this podcast already, which is incredible. So we have that on our Twitter. Uh, go check out her Twitter. She's at mmetellonick. Uh, next question is from Missy. Missy says, uh, I asked what, what we should discuss. And Missy said, discuss all things Villanelle. We are rooting for a psycho killer! Exclamation point. Uh, I would love to hear a con also love to hear a convo on whether or not the show will gay bait fans, although it might be too early to tell, and how the show is on air during a time when women are raising their voices and really demanding to be heard. Great questions. A lot of meat there. We could talk for hours and hours about all of those. So Villanelle, Psycho Killer, we touched on that briefly. It's strange that we root for this character so much, but we really do. And I also think that's a testament to the acting. Both of the leads in this show are undeniably good. Sandra Oh is 
incredible in this part. And it almost makes me mad that she hasn't been given more leading lady roles up to this point because she's just this phenomenal talent. And Jodie Comer makes Villanelle so interesting and so complex and layered in ways that I think a less experienced actor might not be able to pull off. So let's talk about gay baiting. It's really interesting. We can't say too, too much. Although if you haven't watched the whole series, please do that or you're going to get spoilers on this podcast. The moment in the final episode where it kind of seems like these two characters who have this mutual obsession with each other are going to kiss and Villanelle talks about like masturbating to her. It's so intense. And for a moment, I watching it felt like, oh, maybe they are going to like, maybe this is going in a very different direction than, than I thought it was. And, and I don't know. I hope that that is not a malicious way to try to attract queer viewers. And I don't think that it is, but it's interesting seeing the way they lay out Villanelle and her sexuality and uh, when we learn more about Anna and that past story and how intense it is, and then understanding how that plays into her relationship with Eve. Well, I, I wonder, like, I kind of spoiled the question before I mentioned, you know, feminist baiting, which I don't even know if it's a thing. Uh, about the gay baiting, there are, like, there are other storylines in the show that are very LGBTQ positive, and, and it's not necessarily, like, the tension between Eve and Villanelle. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, if, even if that, we say, is, is, is gay baiting, um, there's still, like, so much more going on there um, from, you know, from, a, from like, a, an LGBTQ perspective, which I think is, you know, uh, is pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, Villanelle is so interesting in that way, in that they show her having had relationships with men and women, and we're not really even sure how, what sex means to her, and how much she's into it, and how much she's, like, cold, and it's not really, we don't, we don't know. She obviously gets obsessed with women with dark, curly hair. That's obviously something that she's very attracted to and cannot help herself from. But I, I'm curious. And like, I I think that it is a little early to tell because I think that future seasons of this show will really uh, dictate where their relationship goes as two people, but also how the LGBTQ representation continues to to go. And so far, I feel like it's been fairly positive and positive in a way that it's shown and not necessarily even commented on. The fact that Villanelle has this ex we meet later who is also a female assassin, like that that's not commented on like, oh, and isn't it interesting that she's a woman? It's just her, it's just her ex. And uh, like we have, you know, Bill talking about his relationship with his wife and they're both like exploring and always have been exploring yeah, other it's options. Yeah, it's sort and... of normalizing things that I think are usually really fetishized, especially on mainstream shows. Exactly, yeah. And, and I, I think that's a really, really positive thing. I think so too. And um, I was thinking before when we were, we were talking about, you know, rooting for her as a, ser- as a serial killer, as a, like this really vicious murderer. 
and there's a scene in the pilot where I think it's like I think it's the, the like the 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 neighbor from across the hall where she coming with the back <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And like this is like we just saw this person. Well, we didn't see her ki- kill the. Oh, we, we she was like a dick to this girl in like the very first scene of the show, and then and this is like. This is when we say, oh, she's she's a terrible person. Not when she kills those people, when she's a mean when she's mean to a child and when she's mean to an old lady. That's so true. And it's so <laughs> funny. Like, I can overlook that you just slaughtered people, but you're a little rude to a sweet little girl, and that makes you a sociopath. Yeah. That's... And so I, I think I think I think, yeah, we have kind of like uh, being, you know, being desensitized in a way that we have rooted for serial killers and like bad guys before. Mm-hmm. And also, also, also like Walter White is horrible totally. and uh, T- Tony Soprano, they all like did terrible things and we rooted for them. And that's uh, really interesting because with those examples, like we watch them descend into getting worse and worse and like becoming ter- even more terrible people through their circumstances where Villanelle, we're just kind of introduced to, this is who she is. This is her life. We don't necessarily know. We learn a little bit about her backstory. But, like, it seems like if this wasn't her life, she'd be living a very similar life somewhere else doing similar things. It just seems like this is who she is. This is what she's good at. And then as far as the show being on the air during a time when women are raising their voices and demanding to be heard, I think that's interesting. I think that it's a very good time in culture for this show. I think this show might not have been taken as seriously if it had come out in a different time. And I, I don't know if that means it wouldn't have got on the air or if it would have been put on maybe a, a less prestigious network. But I do, I do think that it is being regarded critically and by fans like very very highly yeah and and the the thing with you know putting phoebe waller bridge in charge this like exact same plot and everything could have been you know very sexualized and the fact that there is a sex scene in this episode where not only is it not like hyper sexualized it's played for laughs the woman is the one uninterested and like getting it over with. And the guy is the one out of control and almost being like feeling like used in a way is is something that is so rare on TV. And I I truly believe like you're right. A female showrunner is just going to bring that other perspective. Like for, for me and for my, you know, interest, this uh, a show like, Killing Eve is more appealing than something like Nikita. Yeah, yeah, same, same here. Uh, also, I think bringing the comedy in is something that on a on a really intense, like sexy drama, they wouldn't feel as uh, permitted to be so funny and to have so many jokes. And with this, like, female voice running the show, it just feels real and funny in a in a very genuine way and not a put on network noty way mm-hmm. but yeah I think it's a great time for the show and I mean I don't know if that's coincidental or if that's be- specifically because these are the kinds of shows networks are trying to make right now but I hope that this show doing well will only open the doors for so many more shows like this I am so drawn to that sort of 
uh, genre bending and mixing because I am a comedy writer. That's what I do. That's what I love to do. I don't think I'd ever write something without jokes in it. But I would love to be hired by SVU. So <laughs> let's just hope we can really mix genres and make this all work. Uh, so that question, those those couple good questions were from Missy at Glory Days Girl. Thank you so much, Missy. Guys, keep sending in questions, comments. If you think we got something totally wrong on this podcast, I want to know. I'm a glutton for punishment. Uh, <laughs> that's not true at all. Please don't tell me I'm bad. I'll be so sad. That is it. That brings us to our final segment of the show, Confirm the Kill, a.k.a. Plugs. Maya, if people want to read your brilliant critiques, they want to find you on the internet, is there a place they can do that? Well, they need to learn how to read Hebrew first. Okay, Um, quick Hebrew lessons. (laughs) Once you're done with that, uh, you can uh, follow me on Twitter. My uh, handle is uh, PazFeed, like Paz, like my last name, and feed, like it's a BuzzFeed. So good. Uh, (laughs) I'm sorry that I explained it. Um, (laughs) I'm not at all. Uh, where I try to mostly tweet in English, but sometimes I don't. Don't unfollow me on account of it's that. It's like a free language lesson. That's <laughs> great. And you can follow the show at Spilling Eve on Instagram and Twitter. I need to do that too. You do need to do that. It's great. When this episode comes out, we'll tag you. Everyone will follow you. It'll be amazing. And you can follow me at Christy Lapointe if you want to hear some dumb jokes about mostly food. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for joining us apologies if the rain sound coming in halfway through is distracting but it has been so hot in toronto and we needed this rain uh we will talk to you all next week bye this podcast has been brought to you by the sonar network sonar